Welcome back to Tome of Tales. Set in the Cantus Expanse, a long-running 5th edition D&D campaign. This episode is a downtime write-up, co-written with Toby, who plays Varys Nalo, continuing after the events of Summer Court Rhapsody, The Trial of Merla Copperkettle. It is called Playing Favorites, Rondo. Though the autumn equinox has passed, summer still clings to the people of Daring Heights. Children attempt to enjoy the few sunny days that remain, whilst their parents scramble to keep them dry from the rain. The merchants are buzzing with trade, and the farmers are preparing for the harvest. High harvest tide mere days away, when the fruits of their year-long labor must be reaped. A shadow passes swiftly over a familiar orphanage, the glint of a single spiraling horn dazzling the large garden at the back with spots of rainbows before it is gone. Some of the children recognize the shape and wave from where they are playing, and a small hand waves back. Before too long, it passes over a red stone archway, the entrance to a quiet but familiar militia barracks doubles back and lands just outside. You know, we could always walk to the compound. Cheryl muses as she deftly dismounts from Astra. But where's the fun in that? Astra says, shaking herself down as she tucks her wings in. Besides, I know how much you love to fly. Yes. Cheryl looks through the arch and sees the empty yard. A large warhound emerges from the stables to the right, testing the air with his nose, then slopes laconically back into the shade. The two newcomers enter, stopping just inside. Cheryl bites her lip nervously as she looks at a familiar door. Maybe I shouldn't bother him with this. I've already caused enough- Merla. Astra interrupts, lowering her head to bump her muzzle into the small woman's chest. The Grand Master will want to hear from you what happened. I do not believe he will judge you. He is wise. She lifts her head to look in the direction of his rooms. We both know he cares about you. A small blush touches Cheryl's cheeks as she nods. You're right, Astra. She admits. Of course I am. The winged unicorn states matter-of-factly. Cheryl's eyebrows shoot up. A moment later, she feels Astra laughing across their bond. Cheryl starts to smile, thankful for her friend all over again, for how she continues to help her. I will be here when you are done. Astra continues more sincerely this time. She gives Cheryl a little nudge with her head, taking care to be gentle. The bruises from the fatal duel match with Arvel have been healed mostly by magic, but the bruising went deep, so they are still tender. She watches her mistress make her way over to the Grand Master's quarters, 
before walking off. Cheryl's knock at the heavy oak door is met with a call of invitation, and stepping into the long, dim room, she finds Varys poring over a table of maps and charts. He gives her a small smile of greeting before returning to his studies. Sweet friend, poet of battle, your presence in my home is like the warm kiss of summer. Speak what you would have, and it shall be so. She blinks, taken aback for a moment at the formality of his speech, the uncharacteristic lyricism. Then it strikes her. That was not the common tongue he spoke. Brave friend, just warrior. Cheryl responds in Elvish. I would speak with you on the matter of gods, curses, and fate. Would you bestow your wisdom upon me? Varys looks up sharply from his desk, catching a flicker of fragility reflected in her eyes before Cheryl can hide it behind a careful mask of control. After watching her for a moment, he nods and gestures to the two chairs beside the empty fireplace. So, he says, taking a seat on a simple wooden stool. Cheryl moves to the incongruously decadent velvet upholstered wing back, but does not sit. Gods, curses and fate. She hesitates, that fragility peeking through again as Cheryl takes a deep breath, gathering herself. Turning around, she brings her gold and pink hair over her shoulder before opening the split cape she wears. The iridescent silken fabric parts, revealing the dark, talon-like scars that mar her back. Glancing over her shoulder, she tries to see Varys' expression. His face is stony as he inspects the marks. After a moment, he looks up, a question in his green eyes. These scars are from the feathered cloak I wore, the one Bane, Bibi, and the others helped remove. She says quietly, looking away to the empty fireplace. I never kept it a secret, my desire to fly, wishing I had my own wings. Cheryl lets her cape fall back into place as she turns around to face Varys. A humorless smile darkens her bright features. That's why one must be careful what one reveals in the Fey courts. And to whom? Your desires can be used against you. There's a moment as she looks at him, her blue eyes conveying something Varys can't quite place. Then she carefully sits down on the edge of the plush chair, and the moment is gone. Do you know much about the after-effects of being cursed? Cheryl asks. Varys looks down for a moment, brow furrowed in thought. No. He says finally. Certainly not through personal experience. Bane and Sunday have more experience in such matters though neither speaks very freely of it, and I am not one to press someone for the shadows of their past. We carry enough sorrows to break a mountain 
most of us. And... He stopped short for a moment. What do you mean, used against you? You believe this was more than a coincidence? Cheryl exhales a small breath, looking down to her hands, unable to meet his eyes. How much did Gesh tell you when he returned from the summer court? A fencing accident, as I understood it. Perhaps some interference with the weapons themselves. You believe it is linked to the cloak? She looks up to the half-elf, and there's something in her eyes that makes her look older than her years. I killed the favored commander of the Summer Queen in an honor duel. Yes, there was some sort of interference, but that does not change the fact that I killed him. She looks away, staring into the middle distance as she recounts to Varys what happened in the crown of the apple tree. The duel, the questions and the answers, the moment she killed Arvel and the arrival of the Green Knight, the failed resurrection, how she turned herself in to face her Queen Mother's judgment, and her subsequent banishment. She tells him of what she learned of the cloak from her spell, how it was used to draw the attention of the Raven Queen to her, and how two of the three visions she has had have come to pass. Varys sits silent through the whole recital, a divot of concentration between his brows. I do not know if the Raven Queen still watches me. A small, almost imperceptible shudder passes through her and she sits up straighter. But I have been given this chance, this small grace by Queen Titania, to figure out where all these threads lead, who the puppet master is pulling the strings, and what purpose, Cheryl says, a soft quaver to her voice. When she looks back to Varys, her eyes are alight with determination, but there's a glint of uncertainty. A worry for what he may think, perhaps? This is my battle to fight, but I would not do it alone. I need your wisdom, your experience, your strategic mind and guidance to help me piece this together. There's something dangerous brewing between the Fey Courts, and it has become clear to me I have an undetermined role to play in it. Her brow draws together, and the anger that flashes across her face is poignant. I will not let myself be used as someone else's pawn. Her brow clears, eyes becoming imploring pools of clear blue water. But what if it is my fate to be used against the ones I love most? How do I fight that? You should speak with Bane on the subject of fate. He bends her a grim smile. And mothers. But as he is not here, I will tell you what I once told him. It is neither fate, nor nature, nor the irresistible tides of history, but the work of our own hands that will determine our destiny. He lets the words hang in the air for a moment 
before leaning forward and meeting her gaze. We sent a message recently to the lords and ladies of Baetor. Perhaps the monarchs of the Fane realms need reminding too that we mortals are not tools or toys. Our lives, though brief, have meaning and value, and we will not be manipulated. You have my assistance, in whatever form you require. The tension in Cheryl leaves her in an exhale. She reaches out, taking one of his pale hands in hers, bringing it up to her forehead as she closes her eyes, holding it just beneath the diadem in her circlet. Your wisdom bestowed, I receive gratefully. A true friend, one I can count on faithfully. The elven words come out like music, their rhythm mimicking a heartbeat. A soft, relieved smile touches her lips as she holds on to him for a moment. Oh, the word, so soft, a touch of sound on an intake of breath. Cheryl lowers their hands, eyes looking from them up to his face in surprised wonder. I heard... She starts, then catches herself. She smiles gently, and for the first time since she entered his rooms, Vera sees the uncertainty banished from her eyes. Every life has a song unique to it. She starts, much like the names we are given by our parents when we are born. But these songs are secret, the true heart of a person, a hidden name, a true name. She pauses. Merla. My real name is Merla Copperkettle, she says quietly, looking into his peridot eyes. I know this name was not given to me by Queen Titania, but she is my mother. For so long I did not know where I belonged. A mortal raised by the Fae? And now that I think I have figured it out. I would not see my mother undone because of me. Varys gently disentangles his hand from hers. Then it shall not be. Call, and the order will answer. She looks at him for a moment, her eyes searching his face, the echo of his words so similar to one said to her by another. If your heart is true, Murphy, call, and the stars will answer. A peculiar feeling blooms into life in her heart, one she's not sure she can put a name to. I will, she says with a nod. There are others I must speak with, so I shall leave you to your work. Soft as a summer breeze, she makes her way over to the door, but stops before opening it, hand resting on the handle. I worried what you would think of me, about what happened, what I did, she says softly, turning back to face him. 
But if you are with me when I face this, and the others are too, then I will have the strength to do this, to untangle these threads and find their origins. There's a shine to the small woman's eyes. You may still call me Cheryl, by the way. I merely... Cheryl hesitates for a moment, then laughs softly at herself, shaking her head. I thought it only fair to tell you. Cheryl turns and opens the door, the cooler autumn air brushing through her hair as she steps out of Varys's room. She glances back one last time to the half-elf, her face hard to read, before softly closing the door behind her, leaving him to his thoughts, that unnameable feeling lingering within her heart. This downtime write-up was called Playing Favorites, Rondo, set in the Cantus Expanse, a long-running 5th edition D&D campaign run by the London RPG community. Co-written with Toby, who plays Varys Nalo. Varys was voiced by Gwydion Evans. If you wish to help support Tome of Tales, please consider buying me a Kofi. You can find the link in the description. Thank you for listening. Thus concludes Book 4 of Cheryl's story. Tome of Tales will return in four weeks' time with the commencement of Book 5 of the Fey Bard's Adventures. I hope you will join me then for the continuation of her story.